0: G'day guys and welcome to the first ever episode of Caleb's Conversation Podcast. On this podcast, I'm going to encourage healthy, long-form conversation and debate and have conversations with interesting people who have interesting things to say. Now some of you may be wondering what this podcast will focus on. This podcast will focus on movies, shows, sport, or the latest controversial topic that is circulating in the news cycle. This podcast is being hosted in astra and I'm happy to introduce for the very first time someone I've got to know quite well over the last couple of years of my life, Dr. Dean Cherkop. Thanks, Caleb. Um, So I'll say, what what is the position that you have at the film school and what is your day-to-day jobs and stuff and responsibilities?
1: Okay, so my position as the program director of the Bachelor of Film and Screen Media Production degree um, essentially requires me to be the custodian of the whole program, um, and that means anything from day-to-day activities, teaching students, which I love to do, um, through to managing um, the, the hiccups of, of international travel for international students here at the moment, um, looking at the program and making sure that it's, it's, it's relevant and up-to-date and speaks to um, the industry as broadly as, as, as it possibly can. Um and I guess also um being an ambassador for the film school uh to ensure that our profile um within, within within both industry um and also for those students wishing to study with us um is visible.
0: Okay. But I'll say obviously working in a film school, one of the things that you'd be most passionate about is filmmaking itself. So um what was the thing that really got you inspired in filmmaking and, and what was the thing that kind of drew you towards filmmaking as a as a lifestyle and a career?
1: Oh, uh, that's a complicated and and long, you know, um, extrapolated answer I would have to provide for that. But look, the short form is, uh, I didn't initially gravitate towards filmmaking. I didn't come from oh, okay. a I didn't come from a school that um, had filmmaking practice. It was essentially a math science school. Um, I excelled in areas, you know, in um, sort of graphic drawing, uh, and initially I was I was enrolled at the University of Queensland to study. Well, was studying architecture at the time. If you ask me what it was that spoke, that you know, how how movies spoke to me and why I decided to change, um, I don't have a definitive answer on that. Uh, I do think that we've often spoken, or we teach you guys that um, the the best stories are the ones that that tap into primal emotions. So, by primal emotions, it means it's the ones that we all, you know, um, that we all can. have from time to time for lack of a better term so those you know your fear, your love um, and those sorts of those sorts of ideas and um, and for me, I, I, in a certain way, I'm going to be open enough to say I think it was fear. Um, I had a lot of people who love good old horror movies and I just, it just didn't, they just didn't work for me because it, it played on my active imagination and I think in a certain way that's what attracted to it to me as well. Um, but also I would say that people often say, well, the correlation between architecture and, and filmmaking is, is, is pretty distant but what I would say is um, they're both project-based industries um, and so for me, I think one of the points of being um, gravitating towards film was because it's very much project-based and I like that. I like moving from, you know, from project to project. And, and one of the things that has endeared me to this industry is the the breadth of, um, the breadth of opportunity of people you can meet, um, different indus- industries that you can, you can be involved with um and the diversity of of the um, stories that they want to tell. So yeah, it was a it, it was a um, it wasn't a, a natural fit to begin with but um, the, the once I would found myself studying it I found that it was a really good fit and, and spoke to what I was passionate about.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the film industry is definitely like that because it has so many different avenues that kind of require so many different professions and people who think different ways to come together in search of one, Uh, project in one sort of trajectory, um, which I think is really interesting. And I think, yeah, that idea of like bringing people who have different walks of life to tell one story, I think, yeah, is definitely interesting. Is there a certain movies or, or project that you kind of watched as you were growing up that you kind of spoke to? Like, do you have like a favorite movie or anything like that?
1: Yeah, um, no, not not a favorite movie. For saying, oh, hands down, that's the you know that's the film for me is a is a natural fit. I like films for different reasons, mm. um, and I'm not trying to dodge the question here. Um, it's just that's that's the you know the honest truth, and and I'd also say at different points in time, different movies have spoken to me because of you know where I was at in my life or or um, you know my age. So you know it, it could be anything from the you know initially falling in love with um you know the early Cohen brothers films just for their you know for their their witty dialogue and their brilliance of um, coming up with these really abstract narratives um, through to sitting in a cinema, one, you know, back in the day and watching Pulp Fiction with an audience and watching the way that they reacted. Wow, I can imagine so, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for all sorts of different reasons, um, I enjoy movies. You know, and then others just speak to you for for a private reason. Um, so yeah, again, it's 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 for a variety of reasons, um, and I couldn't single out any one individual film.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I feel like when people ask you, like, do you have like a favorite movie or whatever, it's because there's so many types of movies out there and because there's so many of them i feel like it is hard to kind of pinpoint one movie i remember for the longest time uh, that when people asked me that question of do you have a favorite movie i used to say the dark knight was my favorite movie just i thought it was so well done by christopher nolan i thought Heath Ledger just the joker is you know iconic mm. um but yeah now i've been like especially since my time at film school i've been opened up to so many other times types of movies and i feel like now like That sort of idea of picking one movie that you definitively say that's your favorite, I can always watch that, and enjoy it. I can't say that definitively just because there's so many great movies out there, and you know, not just from Hollywood, just like even like overseas and like, um, because like even Parasite, which was a um, Korean film, I believe. um, It is. Yeah, it was. That was an amazing movie. It even won Best Picture in the Oscars last year. So, like, I feel like there's such a a breadth of um, talent, uh, like internationally. Um, so yeah, when you when you someone asks you what's your favorite movie, I understand. Yeah, it's a tough question to answer, uh, especially nowadays because there's so many movies. Um.
1: And also just quickly on that, because of the breadth of cinema as well, I mean, you know, you can you can sit there and, and reflect on, on sort of the, let's call it the ten pole um, Hollywood productions with the large budgets, but at the same time, there's a lot of great indie cinema kicking about. Um, and look, the one thing I don't want to be dismissive of, which I'm also, I'd like to champion, is um, the great Australian cinema out there at the moment that just doesn't seem to be capturing the audience that it deserves.
0: Yeah, it's strange how, yeah, Australian cinema, I feel like there's a stigma around it, like- like, almost like any, anytime anyone hears about an Australian um, project, there's almost like a, oh, like it's already not going to be good. Just because I, I don't know why, but there just seems to be a stigma around Australian cinema, and it just doesn't seem that it has that prestige like a lot of the Hollywood or stuff, even from like the UK and stuff, has. Um, why but, do you think but, that is, though?
1: Well, no, my question to you on that, Caleb, is that what, you know, what is it that, that you've said you think there is a stigma to it? Like, is that something within your generation? That... I think
0: so, yeah. I'll say uh, even just the conversations with people that are my age or uh, even younger than myself, um, anytime, like you mention Australian film, for the, for the most part, it's like, what are an, what is an Australian film? Like, I can't really, like, list any because there's not really any temp poles that you can really think of. Um, we're not
1: in the we're not in the tentpole market because we just don't have the yeah we're a lot more niche that. than that yeah 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 um, and uh, what I what I would be saying is is that um, you know I've always done the comparative analysis against Australian music which seems to fr- um, thrive locally and so I don't know why um, with respect to that. That creative practice arena um, of music and and film, that film has had this had this stigma attached to it. Now I do know that you know making a film versus making a making an album, there's a significant budgetary difference, um, and equally the stakes um, with respect and and also how to release it. And that's not me then judging one against the other, but it, I have noticed probably for about the last twenty plus years that. Australian music doesn't have the same stigma attached to it that you just identified. Um, I'm unsure. How can I say it? I've I've never been able to drill down on research. Uh, you know, through I guess just a, a canvassing of a of audience. I think for for someone like yourself, who is aware of Australian cinema, um, the the idea of the the stigma is something that's it probably uh, come about with. Um, how can i best describe this it's come about with uh, an awareness that the the cinema is there and the certain films are probably not speaking to you the way that other other cinemas do um, but that aside the general public which is the main audience for cinema like Absolutely, yeah. you know you can't you can't expect just film enthusiasts or cinephiles to be the the audience for a film so that's the catchment i would put you in Um, the general public just don't know the films are there Mm. and that's the hard part I agree
0: I think marketing is a huge thing that's the Mm. big thing that I feel like Australian cinema is also competing with is a lot of the Hollywood stuff which has these multi-million dollar productions and stuff but then they also have multi-hundred million dollar marketing campaigns as well where you have bus ads you know commercials on YouTube and Mm. various social media things that's what they have to compete with so of course everyone's going to know what the latest I don't know Marvel movie is or the latest you know King Kong movie or whatever Because they get so many ads for it and they know about it because it's everywhere in sort of the zeitgeist. Whereas an Australian movie, I feel like it's very much difficult, it's so much more difficult for it to get out there and for people to be aware of it because they don't have the same amount of money pumped into these marketing campaigns. So, yeah, I think it's a hard thing that they have to deal with. But again, when you're dealing with such a smaller audience and a niche audience, um, I feel like, yeah, it is harder to kind of reach out and get a large, uh, not only national, but international audience as well.
1: Yeah, you know, look. There's a great book by a woman um, by the name of Linda Obst called um, "Sleepless in Hollywood: An Introduction to the New Abnormal," and um, it's a it's a wonderful read. For I'm not here spooking it, by the way. It's just a book that if you're um, if you love, I love reading books about how films are made and the process and the um, uh, the different contexts, um, both on a business and a cultural um at any point in time both on a business level and a cultural level that then informs the type of films that are being made. And if you read that book she has um, two great co- well two great topics that she touches on the first one that you addressed, which is marketing um, and her belief now is that um, studio heads are, are no longer the ones that um, are the I guess the um, that give the green light to a film normally when a, a big budget film, um, from one of the studios is going to be released, they normally wheel in, or in her account, they wheel in the marketing, the head of marketing first. Um, and if the head of marketing doesn't think that they can market the film, then they, then the studio head is pretty, you know, um, is less inclined to green light the film. So that then says to you that it's actually marketing that has the power, Um, not the studio head just wanting to tell the great film like probably the model was once in the past. Um, And then to also touch on the idea of what you're saying with regards to marketing budgets, um, her quote is that on any given Thursday, um, now we're talking pre and hopefully post-COVID when Mm. films were released, you're not only trying to penetrate the public's consciousness that your film is out there, you're trying to do it while about five or six or seven other films are marketing to try and penetrate the public's consciousness that it's out there on that Thursday as well. Mm. So it's a really tough, um, it's a it's a really expensive and 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 tough exercise. Um, and disappointingly, yeah, the Australian films really don't have that, that much money um, to throw at it. But then that also shouldn't be the reason why those films aren't, you know, um, to use that term again, penetrating the public consciousness. Because we as locals should be wanting to go and see our own national cinemas. I mean, I know I agree, that. Yeah. You know when Parasite won the you know the Best Film Academy Award, they interrupted um, the Korean well Korean national broadcasters interrupted whatever they were broadcasting at the time um, to publish or pu- you know make public that information. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, which was which was which was great. Which goes to show their passion for their own national cinema. Um, and what I guess for me is, you know, like when I look back and, you know, I can, I can mention an actor like, you know, Jeffrey Rush, who you'd hi- hold in high esteem. But, you know, uh, what disappoints me is that, you know, talking pre, pre-naughties to even sort of your generation um, about films in the 90s like Shine, that really started to pave a way for Australians and also um, that, you know, let's say Oscar recognition of, of films um, does exist in this country, but a lot of people aren't aware of it.
0: Mm. Yeah, because I feel like a big thing with the Australian film industry, especially at the moment, is that there's a lot of um, big budget pr- stuff coming to Australia to film and do their stuff over here. I know Queensland's a huge destination at the moment for a lot of the big budget stuff that's coming over from uh, both Disney and um, Warner Brothers and stuff, because uh, I know that they filmed uh, the Kong vs Godzilla movie down on the Gold Coast, I believe. That's Warner Brothers? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and then uh, they're filming the new Thor movie, I think, down in Sydney, right?
1: Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: So obviously the film industry here in Australia, there's so much opportunities going on uh, for these productions that are stuff that are coming here to Australia. Uh, what's your comment on like the film industry at the moment now that we're in this weird sort of COVID land at the moment where here in Australia we've kind of dealt with the COVID situation relatively well and we're now at a stage where we can kind of have these opportunities of um, productions and stuff come to Australia?
1: Oh, look, I think um, from an economic point of view for the practitioners that had... You know, months without work, It's and particularly because they weren't even eligible for, or, or let's say, uh, I won't be that broad, um, a number of them may, may not have been eligible for a lot of the government, um, you know, job keeper schemes and things like that. So for them now to be able to land into work and continuity of work, you know, right through to Christmas and beyond is wonderful for that. Um, I also think that in terms of upskilling um, the next generation coming through, i.e. the graduates from the film school, of which this morning I heard from a current undergraduate who's working on the Netflix project Spiderhead, um, oh, cool. was Chris, Chris Hemsworth, and she listed about um, six to eight uh, recent GFS alumni working on that. Now, that's just that's just Spiderhead. You've got on top of that, you've got the Young Rock series series. Um, You've got the Elvis film currently in production. Uh, you've then got the follow-on to Tiger Kings. Um, you've got Dive Club shooting up in far north Queensland as well. Um, then you have some independent cinema kicking around. Like There was an indie Australian horror film that was recently made on the Gold Coast. So what I'm saying is, is that while things are, are good like that, um, there's opportunity that presents itself for um, for those sort of moving on beyond film school and being able to step into a role, prove themselves and then build up that CV of work um, and then hopefully that continuity through the connections they've, they've made as well. So you, what you've got to do is you've got to separate the um, the foreign productions coming to the country um, from the, the, the local production as well. So in that respect... Um, What's great is that there's enough for every for every well there's enough production to go around for everybody. So there's not people scrambling for only a small number of productions, um, and that's then coming at the expense of those that are new and emerging. Um, but at the same time, what I'd hate to see is for so much international stuff to land that we would have then trouble um, facilitating our local production as well. But generally speaking, you know, Queensland has been known historically as as um, it has a, a certain percentage of local production happening, which is great, you need that. Um, if anything, it would be great if we had more series work happening up in this state. So one of the things we haven't even touched on is um, shows like Harrow as well, which is now it's a season three. Oh, yep. um, so again, that's about, or, or maybe in production or about to commence as well. So when you look at all of those numbers and you know the hundreds of crew that are required for that, um it's it's a really boon for to be in in southeast queensland at the moment it'll be a question of how long does that stick around for because every every country around the world will will always has an incentive scheme to to lure work to you know to their territory equally america as well has um has statewide schemes you know from my understanding atlanta is a big hub for production now because of the incentives and rebates they have um but yeah like we we also need to be mindful of of facilitating that local production as well and that and I say that not because I'm always just going to be Um, you know showing a preferential treatment to that or anything like that it's more so as a recognition um, that that is going to be the staple that this country needs and what we would love is we would love a couple of series to be being produced up here um, a couple of local productions and then um, you know icing on the cake would be some international productions on top of that which then just make sure that there's that um there's that cycle of work that that's always going to be turning over but we'll have to watch the value of the dollar um it's sitting up around 75 cents right now and so when it gets much higher it's it's, you know, there's less incentive incentive to come to this country. Um, but COVID, as you identified is a big part of it as well. And if you know, any of any of us have heard the rant from Tom Cruise, um, yeah, I did hear that yeah, yesterday. It's crazy. Well, it's a bit crazy. But at the same time, it's a guy that's, you know, really He's feel, so
0: passionate about his work. Yeah.
1: yeah, passionate about it. And I so I'm not gonna I won't take a stance on either. Look, you know, there's certain ways you want to be, you want to conduct yourself in a in, in a workplace. And for that, I, I may sort of say, was that the right way of going about it? But but equally, you know, when you're passionate about trying to, to breathe life into your, um, in you know, into what has essentially been uh, for 120 years um, the norm, and they're really facing some challenges at the moment, like you know, AMC Cinemas. I think recently appealed to the American government for a $15 billion bailout, you know, and so cinema is really on its knees at the moment. You touched on um, Godzilla versus Kong earlier on, and you know Warner Brothers has just released, um, or just just um, yeah, 2021, made the press release that they're going to release all of their stuff day in day uh, in the cinemas and on um, HBO Max at the same time. So there's a, you know, there's a. It's a it's a real interesting time to be yeah. taking a snapshot of this industry. The
0: future of the of the film industry is very very on rocky terms at the moment because it's it's in such a state of flux. There's so much change going on because of all of these COVID stuff that are, that's going on because the cinemas are in such a financial um, are in such financial turmoil, and I feel like that because streaming services are also such a huge presence at the moment that a lot of these studios are also relying on making content specifically for the streaming services um, and not so much relying on cinema, which used to be the traditional method of making your box office revenue, whereas now I feel like streaming services are now kind of becoming the majority uh, where they make their money. So, uh, But just to backtrack on that thing you said about Tom Cruise, for those who don't know, uh, Tom Cruise was, uh, well, I don't know if it was leaked or whatever, but he was caught um, you know, basically just ranting to some of his crew members who... Um, broke some COVID protocols or something on the film set whilst they were filming Mission Impossible 7 and uh, basically he was just getting angry and said that you know basically we need to make sure that we're doing this correctly so that we can keep this production going so that no one loses their jobs and that type of stuff so um, yeah it was definitely a very passionate and a very uh, enthusiastic rant uh, but I feel like that's just Tom Cruise I feel like he's such de- who's so dedicated to his craft and he knows and understands the importance of a production like mission impossible seven and knows that without that production that so many thousands of people are going to lose their jobs so yeah when it comes to those COVID protocols i think some of them are a bit silly i'll say even you know the whole social distancing thing there's some things that i don't think is the best but you know we've got to do what we've got to do in order to get these productions made in order to make um, not only provide jobs but make some great content as well um, but yeah, so what's your opinion on the, f- on the future of the film industry now that we are in such an uncharted territory with regards to streaming, cinema, all that?
1: Uh, I think it's too soon to tell, to be quite honest, Caleb. Um, for what you just touched on there about uh, the design behind studios for, for more of streaming services, I don't think that... You know, you've got to understand that quite often the Slater films that a studio um, has is projected five years in advance of of um of where they currently are so to say that they they were tailoring things now i think would probably be a little bit premature um, for the situation that we've found ourselves in i'm sure they're reacting to it um we're seeing the you know we're seeing the downstream effects of, like I said, with the Warner Brothers announcement and the impacts that makes on anyone from um, the agents uh, and you know what percentages they claim from the actors and what percentages the actors claim from the original, you know, from the initial box office and where does that box office exist now? And and if the box office amount is diminished because the film is released in the same day on a streaming service, what 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 part of that revenue cut do they receive of that, if any at all? So. You know, the, the, as I said, the washout is, is quite significant um, and to see where we end up will be, I think, is, yeah, only, you probably need at least another 12 months before we can make a proper assessment on that and you actually see um, which industries kind of fell off that fiscal cliff without, um, you know, without being either um, supported by government or um, being able to, to tap into um, a post-COVID market, but more importantly, I think um, just touching on what you're saying about um, the well, um, Tom Cruise speaking to his crew, or however you want to describe it, um, the issue there is twofold. The first one is is that everyone needs to recognise that films only films live and die via insurance, so um, that will be another one of the things with respect to. Uh, emerging filmmakers and getting an understanding that if you don't have the insurance in place, the films don't happen. Um, so therefore, w- w- you know what he doesn't want to happen is for you know for a um, uh, whoever their um, uh, whoever their guarantor is to say we have to shut this down because people aren't um, people aren't abiding by the practices. And again, just depending on whatever whatever anyone's individual perception of those practices are what they have to adhere to is what the insurer wants them to because if the insurer is the one at the end of the day that's going to be shelling out the cash if something does go wrong then um, they're the guiding principle what they've what they have is in in terms of their COVID practices and protocols are the guiding principle for everybody else so you have to divorce individual um, perception from um, from the underwriters perception Uh, and the second part of that is also Yes, these other markets are gaining a lot of traction, but you know, as we all know, and as we all love, certain films draw you to the big screen, to that darkened room, to have that, um, to have that social experience with an audience. And what I touched on earlier on um, about Pulp Fiction, um, where you're engaged, where the audience is part of the accent to your emotional response to the film exactly, as well. Yeah. So, in that respect, a lot of the films that are that are tailored to that market. Um, are going to live and breathe by what happens over the next, say, twelve months, and so for that, it is going to be, um, it is, it, it is going to be a really interesting time to see. I mean, I look at, let's just reflect on one other. I don't know why we're thematically now aligning ourselves with Tom Cruise, but you know, I, 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 I have seen the 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 several trailers that have been released for the new Top Gun, mm. um, and that is not a film to be watching, you know, in your living room.
0: I hundred percent agree.
1: So for that, you have to say that. There, there needs to be the industry needs to survive because if the studios fall over and you know a lot of them are in you know sort of delicate positions these days and if they fall over those sorts of films aren't going to get made anymore and so uh, you then have to say to yourself well um do we want to see that disappear and if we and if we don't I hope not. yeah so if we don't what we need to do is we need to um be really broad-minded about what we can support and when we can and as and as um, for those that are listening that are, that are emerging practitioners is, is just adhere to the protocols for the sake of um, realising the production um, because otherwise if you can't do that, you can't release the film and if you can't release the film, you can't put bums on seats um, and if you can't do that, then the cinemas are going to fall over and when they fall over, um, the rest of the, you know, it's just a domino effect.
0: 100%, yeah. I'll say it's definitely an interesting future but I'll say let's change gears been an interesting past this last year at the Griffith Film School has been crazy it's been a very rocky road and it's been tough to get through a lot of our like overcome a lot of the challenges that we've faced but we did it I feel like for the most part the third year grad uh, grad slate did really well and um, accomplished a lot of what they set out to so obviously the GFS film the Griffith Film School is um, has a really great program and does a lot of great things Uh, what about GFS um, as a film school here in Queensland Uh, makes it stand out as compared to other film schools here in Queensland and uh, in Australia as well?
1: Okay, so um, I'll... One thing I will put a disclaimer on is I'll never make a comment on on another institution and what their program offers because the reality of it is is that, and I've always said that whether you come and you know meet me at a TS Expo or an open day, um, all I'll ever talk about is what we think you know we do well, uh, and I think one of the reasons, or to begin with, is we've got an a, an amazing head of school um, who thinks really broadly, uh, internationally as well, and um, is really active in that area, and then he's drawn all of these people into the film school um, with respect to our either full-time or casual staff who hopefully the students um, see value in what they have to offer, not on just the hands-on, let's just teach you skills-based teaching, um, but then also talking broadly um, about their experiences in industry, about the futures that they see for the industry, and that there's not um, a singularity of messaging either. So um, we all have um, well, we all have different interests in filmmaking practice uh, and they're, they're not always necessarily in harmony, but that's not a bad thing either. So to have that, you know, to use that term, um, diversity of, of different sort of teaching staff that are all looking at the various aspects of the industry in its broadest context is probably one of the things that I hope would, would set the, um, the film school apart because we've done a lot of thinking about what we, what we want the film school to be um, and we know that in a certain way, um, all of those, you know, traditional institutions around the world that have a much, you know, um, longer history than us, in particularly in sort of long form storytelling, it's hard for us to sort of be competing in that in that territory. But what we try to do is is create a po- point of difference through. Um, the the variety of ways that we can tell stories, and that includes what we do or Richard does with Live Lab as well. So we are one of the only um, film schools in Australia, if not the only, with a commercial division as well. Mm. Um, and so again, we 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 know that that is a big sector of the industry, and we want our students to be able to understand that because. You know, uh, as I as, as I mentioned to those that happen to be um, or, or wanted to participate in the, um, the online session about landing in the industry, you've got to think it in its most broadest context. So these days, it can vary from anybody wanting to, you know, to do stuff um, via Instagram, they want to do it, um, could be online territory like you're playing in with podcasting, um, it can be the corporate and the advertising sector, um, and it can be in what I call the capital F, capital I film industry. So... We want to make sure that you guys come out with a grounding in all of that, um, and then to slowly navigate your path. Um, so some will end up in free enterprise, um, you know, building their own businesses up, and we've, you know, it's been great to see the outcomes of that. Some will, like I said, uh, you know, before land on the big Hollywood films and have those experiences others will, will end up in all the, all the other, you know, variety of sectors and also, you know, also that, um, that online space of YouTube and everything else. So to answer your question, um, we hope that that sort of diversity of profiling and, and we hope that that also um, equips the, the graduates that come through with a, with a bunch of opportunities with respect to say, let's call it Let's call it the film industry is the singular river, but then there's a bunch of tributaries that sort of you know flow out from that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And they can look at which ones are going to work for them, and if they can then land in the industry or not. You know, I, I, we need to be practical as well and say for some people, once they graduate from from three years of film school, they might say, "I don't want to pick up another lighting case. I don't want to. I, I don't want to wake up at 4 a.m. to to go out on a film set." And that's perfectly fine as well. I agree, yeah. Uh, um, and then they just need to look at those areas of the industry that, that are still transferable and applicable for the skills that they've got. Um, and then also going back to where I started as well. And even if it's if none of that uh, that is for them anymore, they've had enough. They've had enough association around what it is to go and realise projects. So that project based nature again is um, is what can also make you know give them great employable skills where somebody can set them a task. And they can breathe life into it and they can you know, they can germinate it and the next thing you know, they've, it, it's a finished project. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, is that what we like to see is we like to see our students getting out there and amongst it in the broadest sense possible.
0: Mm. And uh, I guess if we cast our eyes back to the beginning of the year, so just for context for those who may not be aware, um, I'll say the Griffith Film School Bachelor of uh, Film and Screen Media Production is a three-year course and in the third year of your course, uh, the big staple is the big uh, uh, project that you get to make about a 15 minute short film or uh, sometimes people make a doco or whatever. Um, But yeah, the main staple is obviously the short films that everyone likes to gravitate towards and and work on. Uh, Obviously the big thing before COVID that we did was uh, the big uh, pitch day where everyone comes and presents their scripts and their ideas and pitches that to um, basically we sit in this massive uh, studio and we bring in 100, 150 odd people, I would say, into the soundstage. Would yeah, say. About
1: 130 yeah, about one hundred and thirty, if the whole cohort turns yeah. up.
0: Yeah. So, um, you get there's massive room, and basically, yeah, everyone pitches their idea, and then from there, we kind of select um, the best of the of the pile, and then, then we go off and make our slate. Um, what's the thing about a pitch day that you look forward to the most?
1: Oh, the unexpected. You know, it's it's I've I've seen so many different things happen on that day. Um, what was it, just a couple of years ago. I won't name them, but, you know, they they turned up with camper chairs and they bunkered down at the front, you know, ready to get comfortable because it, it is a long time. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. You know, we've had students turn up with um, with miniature toy pianos and, and, and sing their pitch. Um, we had a student who I think um, just by his natural height was about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, then stand on about a stack of five or six chairs <laughs> just to try and... We've had students... Um, you know, want to play music to accompany their pitch and they've actually drowned out their pitch and we haven't heard a, a word oh, they've no. said, unfortunately, because of the, the accompanying music. Um, it's the, yeah, it's the unexpected the, that we really enjoy about it. Um, it's the enthusiasm. It's the, it's, it's the passion. Um, and, and for us, it's one of the hardest things or one of the hardest junctures in the year because, as I do say to the students, and I do mean it um, sincerely, that we would love to, to see every film realised um, but the reality of it is just due to numbers, time and everything else, um, you know, that's, that's, that's an impossibility. But I would say that, you know, for any of those who are students listening, uh, we don't necessarily want them to be 15 minute films either. Um, so this year, for instance, we did those two TVCs. We only did the one documentary, um, we are open to all varieties of storytelling um, but at the same time uh, what I you know the one thing I would be saying is is that yeah length doesn't determine the quality of the project so I don't care if someone rocks up with a really good three minute idea and potentially we can we can look at entertaining two or three of those um, compared to one 15 minuteer um, that's really what the challenges we face is the durations of the stories that are being put forward, um, the number of the cohort, what can be facilitated, and um, when all of those things sort of um, line up, that sort of determines what we can what we can produce. So, mm. it's a great day. Um, it as as you ex- both of you experienced, um, it can be a it can be daunting. It can you can be tiring um, by the end of it. So as I say to them, there's a there's a pro and con for going first and going last. Um, yeah, but for me, it's always the uh, the unexpected. That uh, I remember. Also, another student one day just got up and said, "I want to make a nightmare." And I thought, oh, what a great way to you know open up your your, your opening line for um for your pitch." So I learn a lot. Like that. That'd be the other thing too. Is that um, the one thing that those who you know for those who teach at the film school are always constantly on our feet because we're learning from you guys. And um, yeah, on I mean, any given year for what's being pitched, where. We're learning too. Well,
0: that's great yeah, when you have that sort of back and forth of learning and understanding because obviously we come here to learn so much about filmmaking and you guys give us that opportunity and stuff like that of pitching in front of 100-odd you know, people. It's, yeah, as you say, it's daunting, but it's, it's certainly something that definitely allows you to express your idea in a way that is not normal. And if you can express your idea in, in front of a group of people that are listening and, and excited to hear what you have to say, then yeah, that's definitely a good learning opportunity I feel for people uh, who, are, even that may not have that sort of inclination and, and, and or may have the apprehension of speaking in front of people and stuff like that. Because yeah, public speaking is a big fear for a lot of people, um, which isn't surprising, but um, obviously from then we then go through and pick uh, the best, uh, I think 10 or 11 projects I think we pick.
1: I would—I'd I'd interrupt and say the most. I wouldn't say they're necessarily the best. Okay, there's there a lot. Of, there's a lot of great ideas, and there's a lot of things that have to factor into thinking about, you know, what's the most feasible with. as well. Yeah, because yeah.
0: that's obviously a huge part is making sure that it's not only achievable, but you know, it can be done in the time frame and with a decent budget as well. Yeah.
1: Well, also, what I often say is, you don't want. We do know the one thing we do know is how long the students will have to shoot the films, which is on average about six days. And so, you know, if a script comes in, it's what I call the rigors of production um, and story versus time. So, if you've if you've delivered an 18-page script that's essentially, I don't know, um, a high-end action sequence, and knowing what can be achieved in on any given day, um, you know, from when I I taught you in directing fundamentals, we know that there are basics that on, on how to inform that approach. But it's then a question of. Your screen, your screen time versus your your um, script duration versus the the actual time. You know, in twenty four hours a day, also um, uh, adhering to workplace health, workplace health and safety conditions, to be able to realize the film in a way that does justice to the story. Now, if you have competing interests, um, we have to be conscious of that because we have enough experience to know that. Um, it's probably not the forum for that film to be made and it might be better off, um, you know, as a postgraduate exercise or something else. So, yeah, there's, it, it isn't It isn't us just going, these are the best ideas and let's go. Um, it's also wearing the hat because what we also need to be conscious of is that there are, you know, between 12 and 18 crew members um, involved in that film, both from a... Um, committing their time committing some money towards it um and they've bought into an idea um, from that pitch where they have a vision in their mind's eye um, that's probably been accented by their associations with the you know the crew members that they'll they'll be working with for what that outcome we, um, will be and we you know we feel some responsibility to making sure for all of those crew members it's a fulfilling experience mm.
0: yeah also I, I agree with everything you said yeah um, another thing that I guess was interesting around this time frame was this was obviously pre- before COVID came along. Uh, once K- COVID came into the news cycle and you started and started becoming more of a thing that people were taking seriously, what were your initial thoughts? Like, did you think this is like the end of the world sort of thing, or what, what were your initial thoughts when uh, COVID hit the news cycle? Well.
1: <sighs> I actually really have a distinct memory of the first, um, uh, the first, well, let's say news broadcast that I had heard about it. Um, and at that stage, it wasn't, it, you know, it didn't have the profile that it, it has now. And and I actually spoke to a friend of mine who had just had a newborn, and I said, oh, I just saw this thing on on the news about um, uh, a potential virus. And 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 again, the research didn't um, sort of indicate then about who would who, who potentially, um, you know, could be. Well, susceptible, suffer suffer health issues, whatever you want to describe it. Um, So I was just looking out for somebody who had a nine-month-old baby and thinking, well, you know, just um, keep that on your radar. As, um, well, look, you know, as as things started to blow up in the media and and we got a real understanding of the impact that this was having on a, uh, a bunch of different territories around the world, I was wearing two caps then. So I was wearing my program director's cap. Um, you know, and also keeping in mind that we just rolled out a new program um, for the first time in 2020 at the film school. Uh, That, you know, the third year graduate slate and also how we were going to facilitate teaching. So there are a bunch of different moving parts. Um, With respect to, let's just talk about the third year production. Yeah, we... we, The one thing that I hope everyone's got... You know, got the message from um, this year is we understand why students come to film school, um, and they come to to learn, you know, their skills and then apply those by the time they get to their third year. So for me, um, I always want to deliver on the promise of the premise to use a film to use a film term, and and I knew that this was going to be um difficult this year and and also you got to remember we're working within the framework of an institution um, that that at the end of the year students want to finish so that they can be awarded the degree um, you know receive the learning outcomes that that would speak to them um, with respect to their their growth and, and and maturity through the program and so yeah I, I guess to begin with when everything went into lockdown I, I didn't you know there wasn't a master plan or anything like that we really were just taking things on um on 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 face value and what we were getting told I think
0: it's safe to say we were figuring it out as we were go along and not yeah. just the film school but the whole world
1: Oh yeah for sure for sure and so yeah but you know as 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 we started to sort of work out ways to to facilitate things and and we could see that and so you know then we're taking information from um, those industry practitioners that landed landed back in early and 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 looking at the processes they put in place we realized that um it was possible But I guess the the one thing I would commend the class of 2020 on is actually really adhering to um, to those protocols that were put in place. And they weren't dismissive of, oh, yeah, look, once we leave campus, we'll just do whatever we want. Um, the um, the behind the scenes video that was produced for the end of year graduate screenings, you know, as much as it pulls on the heartstrings, it's also a demonstration of the adherence that the cohort made to those um, to those protocols, and that that allowed us to facilitate the production. And again, going back to it. Um, the idea that insurance was the, you know, um, was the deal breaker, and so we could prove to yeah. the industry. So,
0: with regards to the protocols and stuff like that, who, like, who is the one that comes up with that? Is that a Queensland government thing, or is that something the film school devised specifically?
1: Oh, it's a mix of everything. So Screen Queensland published um, the um, what was it? The, the the guilds of Australia came up. There was a big um, there was a big Zoom session with with basically the national film industry looking at looking at. Um, you know, practices that they want to put forward. We were taking um, advice from COVID safety officers that had actually gone back into production. And we were we were trying to find the delicate balance. And it's a bit like what we do with safety, um, is we know that in a certain way, a student production doesn't have all of the the budgetary, um, you know, just the budget full stop that they can throw at something to reach the ambition of, say, industry with respects to stunts and safety. But we'll try and find that middle ground that allows them to facilitate it and come home safe but not, you know, not hemorrhage themselves financially. And it was the same thing here as well, where we just turned around and went, okay, here's what industry's doing. Um, where's the middle ground for what our, our students can can reasonably do um, and at the same time not jeopardize their health and at the same time, you know, not not jeopardize the health of the actors or the locations that they were visiting. And with all those combinations, we come up with a plan. Um, I I never thought I'd I never imagined that I'd be passing a, a, a federal government infectious disease control. Um, you know, um, induction this year, but here I did it. Um, yeah,
0: I can imagine there's a bunch of different inductions and things you have to do and all that type of stuff. Yeah, know? but
1: once you've got all of that information at hand, you then look at what, you know, um, we've imparted onto you guys and say, okay, well, hand on heart, we think we've met best practice. Off you go. Um, please listen to what we've had to say, which you
0: did, and we got the outcome we wanted. What were some of the challenges that we faced uh, in regards to getting uh, us back into production mode and getting us ready for principal photography, what were the things that we um, had to overcome uh, in order to get that authorized and ready to go?
1: Oh look, well, you know, there's a um, we had to we had to come up with a you know um, an induction and a protocol that the, the university would look at and and look at the advice we had taken. For Is the
0: university it. like an upper level above the film school or?
1: Well, it's a Well, at the end of the day. Um, the The film school is a is a school within the greater university, and there's a hierarchical, um, you know, um, structure to that, and and again with um, with with different, um, you know, insurances in place to make sure that you guys as students are never put in you know in harm's way, and um, and so for that, yeah, we we do have to make sure that. Um, and, and 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 again, because of the variety, you know, whether it be medicine, whether it be engineering, whether it be criminology, whether it be law, um, each one's different. And so when they look at what the film school does, um, you know, quite often the response is you do what? Like, you know, you send students. I didn't I didn't even know a border existed between South Australia and Queensland until a group of film school students went out to shoot there in Thargaminda Wow. Um, you know, we've had students go to the French Pyrenees, New Zealand, um, you name it, and that's not a normal practice for a lot of the other different programs so first of all we need to show to them that we understand what we're doing um, and that we've you know taken advice from industry and that we believe that we're meeting best practice and for them to sort of you know at least not necessarily completely get it but at the same time sort of respect that the the people that have have put that in place um know what they're doing and be able to sign off on it and move forward from Mm. there
0: yeah so just so i can get like a visual idea of like the hierarchy so there's like a there's a Griffith University upper body level and then there's the film school and then is there like you underneath or like... Well,
1: no, no. So there's 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 Griffith University. Because I can
0: imagine like there'd be so many like sort of steps that you have to go through in various stages in order to get like permission and sort of thing from various different people. Like I can imagine it's like a kind of too many cooks in the kitchen sort of thing.
1: No, look, all I'd say is um, it, 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 it just has to happen at what we refer to as a group level. Okay. So the group for us is Arts, Education and Law. Um, and therefore um, the, the heads of that which are the, the deans um, are the ones that look at what you know Take well, look at what we're presenting um, they make an informed decision um, they also make an assessment of, of, of us as the school and what we've done historically and, and, and it's it's about trust and faith at the same time, Caleb. So, um, but that's about as as high up as it needs to go. But but in addition to that, then also, if you want to say what were the challenges with the film school, is that we're also taking advice from um, from the university with respect to return to campus, with respect to face to face teaching. And as you know, those who return to campus relatively early, you'll all remember how quiet the building was how we were all Very on ten- quiet, yeah. yep we're it was all- almost a ghost town yep we're all on tender hooks about you know sanitizing hands and about maintaining social distances or distancing and who's wearing masks and how many people are in a room and would there be would it be taught online or would it not be so all that all, all of that advice comes from a central point mm. um, all of the more nuanced um, let's call it practice based stuff um is really coming from the individual school
0: yeah i agree and i think it's an important thing that we have to state is that there's so many moving parts especially in an organization like this in order to get everything ready to go and then making sure it's moving efficiently there needs to be certain things that are put in place in order to make sure that everyone's not only doing it safely but making sure we're also doing it the best way that we can and i think that's important for people to understand is that yeah there is so many different levels and you know, a simple thing might not be easily accomplished. And yeah, like there was little things like, you know, like for example, for casting, like that was something I was directly involved in. Um, One of the big things that we had to get sorted for casting was obviously acquiring rooms and uh, getting like a a space that we could bring in actors to conduct auditions and stuff like that. And that just seems like such a simple task of, oh, just pick a room and then we'll go from there. But something as simple as that needed to go through the rigorous, okay, can we get that building uh, authorized, Can we get this room? What rooms can we have? How many people are in the building? That sort of thing. And I feel like, yeah, just even simple things like that um, in this sort of, uh, you know, pandemic world that we lived in, uh, yeah, it was very important that we made sure that we followed the correct steps in order to do things that were um, safe for everyone. Um,
1: Absolutely. And, you know, in addition to that, there was also um, the challenge of bringing in people that weren't even students. So when you're casting, you're bringing in those, you know, those actors where, we, you know, we don't have that background where we can get them to go and, you know, do the induction first and, mm. and to sign off on everything. And so, again, just from a nervous energy point of view is we have to say what, um, you know, if we've got to look at the risk factors and, um, you know, but as a credit to everybody, they conducted conducted themselves. I thought so, um, yeah. To the casting highest... process went really, yeah, really smoothly. And, and going back to what you were touching on, that, that just goes to show you the um, just everybody coming to um, well coming to terms with the challenges. So in other words, yeah, like you said, it was easy once to just you know send an email um, to our central admin and say I want to book a room, and you'd book that room. And, and and it was done and dusted. But this time, even though if you sent that email and our central admin team were happy to book the room, that would then pop up on um, the timetabling system and then timetabling would have stepped in and said, who's booking rooms? There's no mm. teaching you know, back on campus yet. And then we then have to go and put forward our case as to why um, this needs to happen and for them to align their thinking with, oh, okay, you're not doing this, you're doing that, and okay, blah, blah, blah. And then we end up with permission to go and do it. So, yeah, it was quite complicated and... Um,
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm sure it was a similar sort of process with regards to actual production as well, like going out to dispatch and uh, receiving the equipment and stuff like that so that we could go out onto location and then get the shots done and whatnot. Was it a similar sort of process with regards to getting permission for the equipment and stuff? Because I think we had to go through some sort of like cleaning process with the cameras and all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, the turnaround of the gear, um, again, uh, the size of the crew and the spaces you were occupying, and then... Um, you know working within within the 1.5 meter social distancing boundaries so therefore that's you know when we introduce the face masks um, so yeah a whole number of moving parts to just sort of simply turn around and say yes we're contravening social distancing but they're doing this um, you know the sanitizing of the hands you name it so um to sum it up in one word, we just have to calibrate everybody's thinking towards what we're doing and, and how we're meeting best practice and, and then moving forward. And even just the idea um, of shooting a scene that involved intimacy as well. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, because obviously
0: we're trying to maintain these like sort of social distancing practices, not only for the behind-the-scenes crew, but also the on-screen crew. Well, I thought that was an interesting thing, because that was one of the things that I kind of like puzzled me. Like for some of the films and stuff that had intimacy type scenes. It was like, well, how do we do this? And, you know, the kind of logic behind it was sound and made sense, but like it was an inconvenience, especially if it was important to the story. So, yeah, I think from a creative level, it definitely had to uh, stimulate that sort of thought process of how can we fix this in a way that still works for the story but is also COVID safe.
1: Yeah, and and that's the... Um And that's the other thing that we just, you know, as time goes by, you, you know, you take on board information and and see what others are doing. And so, for instance, you know, I guess the first thing I'd heard about intimate scenes was what they were doing in soap operas in the States where they were using real partners Mm. and using makeup and wigs to make them look like the other actor and then shooting it, you know, in a way I was looking at what they were doing on Neighbours, which were one of the first to return um, down in New South Wales. But then also, what happened at the same time is that our um, our ability to turn around testing was was becoming more efficient. Um, I then was taking advice on what they were doing down at Wentworth um, in in Melbourne, where they're actually the writers were writing scenes for actors that were already in a pre-existing relationship with another cast member, so that they were already intimate in their private lives. So that they essentially, you know, they. they um, the, di- the differentiation between an intimate scene um, during production versus privately was one and the same. Um, all these sorts of things informed the way that we'd go about it and then also just the, the, the way that they could efficiently turn around um, the testing as well. So to begin with, when it first happened, I, mean, I remember one of our staff... Um, it took four days to get the results back from, from their initial test and now you get tested in the morning and probably by about you know 4 to 6 p.m. in the afternoon you've got your results. So we could then turn around to a lot of the groups and say, well, um, and also the number of places that were... Um, that were facilitating testing, whether it be around the corner uh, at the Mater Hospital or up at the PA, and we could say, well, if you go and get tested and you can come back with a negative result, then for all intents and purposes, we have a, you know, we have what we hope is um, some genuine facts around your level of um, infection that you can proceed and and, and do that scene um, in the interests of the film, which was where I, you know, began as it's always in the interests of the film.
0: Hmm. Where was there ever a stage where? Uh, you were given a certain set of protocols or rules with regards to COVID that you kind of got you frustrated and made you kind of get annoyed with the process and stuff like that.
1: No, it, it you know um, how can I put it? It like you said, it was all it was all frontier territory for everybody. You just look at it and go, okay, you know, it is um, what it is, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah it is what it is, and. But it is what it is and, and that'll probably change. Which, you know, for example, the intimacy thing to begin with, it was like, no, it's not going to happen, rewrite it. Um, and then by the time we actually got closer to production, um, as I just described... The distancing stuff was eased, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. Moving into post-production, what were some of the things that you had to deal with regards to getting the editing suites and, and the cinema mixing and stuff? What were the things that had to get done in order to get that sort of process ready to go? Because obviously getting the cinema mix is a very important part of making a film. Um, obviously, that is done in the studio that we've got down there. So what was the process like getting that space ready um, for our sound designers and sound people to get ready?
1: It's actually pretty good this year because, you know, everyone else finished before us. Um, so with with the delays on, on production um, and also the delay with you guys, you know, I think most of the other courses finished about five weeks before the third-year Capstone film finished. Um, and I, for one, was... Was envious of that. I'll be honest with you because I was
0: really needing a break. I um, will say yeah because you've been super busy this whole year. Like it's just been nonstop, consistent, just chaos. Hundred uh, percent the whole way, and I'm not
1: saying hundred percent. I, I agree. It's that's the turbo use um, in terms of the the mental load for this year. Uh, so yeah, that that actually afforded us. Uh, the the fact that a lot of the spaces weren't being used as heavily as they normally would be so it wasn't probably a, a challenging prospect it was more so just you know um again uh, dealing with how can i put this um normally a lot of the the, the teaching team especially the ones that are industry practitioners they've got a um, they've got a cycle they go through and then all of a sudden we had to push all of that back and just making sure that the um, uh that despite sort of a lot of them leaving or when i say leaving you know um that 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 they were then going off to doing their other industry-based stuff didn't mean that you guys then became like you know um, you didn't have clear direction and so that was probably the biggest challenges to maintain and also just the final submission items like normally um say for instance in all the epk materials and things like that that would be um, something that would generally come through screen distribution. That course was running an intensive at the start of the uh, of the trimester, um, and so all of those deliverables couldn't happen because you hadn't shot yet. And so it was about then making sure that we could still. Um, uh, take receipt of all of, those, um, all of those assets that we need to, to promote and market and do all those things with your films, um, but without having an assessment um, item pegged to it. So that's probably, they were more of the challenges realistically.
0: What's the day-to-day look like for you? Obviously, as you would say, you were super busy throughout this whole year. What's some of the day-to-day responsibilities that you had to deal with throughout this whole COVID process?
1: Oh, I no. That, Was it just
0: too broad to, to kind of yeah pinpoint? yeah
1: it's too is there's too much and look but I'm I uh, how can I say it um to use one of my colleagues' favorite terms I'm not Robin Robinson Caruso on this every other staff member had the challenges um, we were yeah it's anything from general production um, issues right through to you know international students traveling back home and you know several members of your cohort went back home and then it's like well how do they still achieve their um, a fulfilling program outcome um, that they bought into when they first came to the film school and, and, and recognising that so the, the scope is just broad and I can never second guess what's going to land on my lap on any given day
0: What is the one thing that has taught you most about the filmmaking uh, industry and making movies uh, this year what's the, been the one thing that's really that you've taken away from it uh, <laughs> uh, The one thing if you could pinpoint it down to just one specific thing,
1: oh, I, I, okay. The one what's taught me um, never under never underestimate the determination of a film crew to go out and realize and achieve, you know, what they set out to. And I mean that um, you you the single mindedness, which is what I admire about film production and film production students, is their determination to to realize whatever it is in their mind's eye. Um, you know, when I say you could say, "Oh, I've been taught," you know, the fundamentals of infectious disease control. Like none of that's uh, anything that I, 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 you know, how can I say, speaks to me. Yeah. Um, this probably was the year that, um, for the most part, and even looking at some of the productions whereby, you know, I won't single anything out, but you know, uh, they had they had specific challenges with locations um, where they just couldn't get access because of these. Um, really cautious times that we were living in, but they still went, you know what, we're, 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 we're going to realise a film. A lot of other people would give up, okay? So that determination of a filmmaker to say, no, come hella high water, we're, we're going to get there, that's... Um, Having tenacity is a
0: huge part of being a filmmaker. Yeah,
1: oh, it is, it is. And um, so I, I wouldn't say I necessarily learnt that. I would say it was confirmed rather than, but, and And for that, um, that's probably the most that says, yeah, uh, that's, what I, that's what I love about film school students is that is that the, it can be challenging at times when we say, no, you can't do that. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it goes to show their tenacity, to use your turn of phrase, um, to get there in the end.
0: After everything you've gone through this year, what would be one piece of advice you'd give to not only current filmmakers, but future filmmakers going forward?
1: Oh, gee. Um, just keep producing original ideas. Uh, the idea, like to quote... Um, David Putnam, who, who who delivers one of the courses for us, as he says, you know, once the film industry used to be from the outside in. So in other words, the outside was a barrier um, that was determined by equipment. Uh, so you know, were you shooting on film, um, budgets, things like that, and um, access to say high end post and and all those sorts of things. You know, DaVinci Resolve, which you guys can download for free now, and with the absence of just the the Um, the noise reduction um, plug-in you can you know you can access it was once a you know hundred and twenty thousand dollar plus piece of software all of that's accessible for you guys so it's no longer from the outside in you you've got access to the gear now it's from the inside out Um, you can you know you can be a um, you can be a youtuber you can be an Instagrammer. you can you can go and shoot something on a low budget that looks like it's a million dollars so it it, the the, you know that um the way that the film production um has changed but to cut through it's got to be an original idea where an audience it speaks to the audience um they see something innovative in it and they they you know they want to either pay the money or 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 pay the subscription to engage with it um because there's that much content out at the moment that if you're just going to watch something that you've seen already it's you know by the nature of it a waste of time because it's Done and dusted already.
0: Mm. That was a fantastic answer. I agree with everything you said. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, a personal project that you've been working on, uh, film school, the musical. Uh, this is something you've been working on for how long now?
1: Oh, look it's it's been a it's been a pet project for a, a, a couple of years. And you know, excuse my language for shits and giggles. Um, they say write what you know, and so while I was while while I'm occupying the role that I I do. Um, And I think you would agree, uh, you can never underestimate the original stories that student filmmakers make in the process of making films. So there was a moment, um, you know, just a number of years ago where we went, I don't think I can write stories this good, like, you know, some of the original ideas that were coming through. Um, For lack of a better description, I remember sitting down with a student once who, you know, had some you know, some reasonable physical bruising that I I had immediately assumed was something to do with a, you know, potentially a, a domestic violence or or some form of like violent, you know, sort of thing going on at the home. And I, I wanted to speak to them and, you know, and he turned around and said, oh, what, this, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, what's going on with my bruising? And I went, yeah, well, what, what are you okay? Is everything all right at home? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, I'm just cage fighting on weekends. Oh, and, wow,
0: okay. And I
1: was like... That makes well, much more sense now. Why, why, why well, You, you cage fighting. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, why are you doing that? And he goes, oh, raise money for my grad film. Um, oh, which, that's uh, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, this is just so far from the connections that I wanted. But, but what I'm saying there is, is that you know, in terms of the the uniqueness of that sort of you know situation, you just go, I don't know if I could come up with stories that good. And so, we look. The musical idea was just a wizard. Yeah. What is it? Thing.
0: What is it about? Like, what does it focus on, and what's kind of the, the general gist of it?
1: Well, the general gist of it is, is that you know, if 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 it sees anything further than this proof of concept episode, um, it is a you know, it is a snapshot of a of a year that students go through uh, in the production of their films, but. The, the rich vein that we really f- we found with it is it's the idea of what we can play with with the concept of the fourth wall. So when you're making a film, like, I I don't know, I, I, I love one of the... Okay, so to go back to what you said, what sort of films do you like? I like reading books about the making of films and I love watching films about the making of films as yeah, well. Yeah, I love
0: that sort of behind-the-scenes documentary type yeah. stuff. I love that as well, yeah.
1: So, you know, my uh, recommendation, hopefully, for those, you know, and even for yourselves... Um, Uh, American Movie which is a great doco about the making of Coven um, this low budget uh, independent black and white film um, the Player uh, there's a great film with Bruce Willis in it that, that apparently is then mirrored on the life of Alec Baldwin with Robert De Niro I've forgotten the title of that one um, Day for Night all of these sorts of films you know you've got the Jaws poster up here um, there's a there's a great there's a great book called The Jaws Log which was the making of that um, and there's also a documentary you can find on YouTube, yes, on YouTube yeah. yeah the star, The shark is still swimming um, so all of these things speak to me the, the, like the, the films that I like to watch um, so we thought we'd do that within the the world of the the film school universe. But what I think could potentially be the unique, you know, sort of point to step off from with that is that, like I just said before, the idea of where that fourth wall boundary exists um, within that universe, because you know, in in the in the pilot episode, um, the, the the students arrive at film school. Um, for orientation, and they they step into the soundstage to um, to look at a crew and watch a production, um, but they then become the production, oh, and so cool. it's about inverting it's about inverting where that and and you know the characters then orate their own narrative, you know, so it's very um, it's very self referential. Um, is it
0: like narration and stuff or
1: yeah, like the opening lyric is. Um, we have the story, no, behind the scenes, the characters and journey are our hopes and dreams. Oh, okay. And then they turn into the and then they turn into the musical moment. Um, and that happens between when action's called and when cut's called. And so the, the creative freedom you have within that is what I think is probably um, the original part of of the idea and then um, it's just a question now of whether or not other people see mm. any merit well, what's in that?
0: the what, what was it that drew you about to it being a, a musical specifically? Like you could have gone down like a, making just a traditional behind-the-scenes yeah, yeah. movie. What was what, what about the musical and the songs and stuff that kind of was like, that's what I want to go with?
1: Um, again, that was probably just a whimsical idea, and I'll, I'll attribute it to a student um, who recently this year actually won an won uh, Australian Writers Guild Award, and... Um, I remember in second year coming up to him and saying, Oh, you going to pitch something for, for third year? And he was like, oh, I don't know, yeah, I'm a, maybe film school, the musical. And we all got a laugh out of it and everything else. Um, and then, as we were as we were going through the years of, as I said, experiencing these unique stories, um, we'd often sort of, you know, when I say we, some of the teaching team go, "Oh, that's another one for film school, the musical," just as a snap to sort of, oh, like, okay, so it's like a know, kind of in joke yeah, among amongst the faculty. Yeah, okay. and when I say that, it's not in any way, shape, or form meant to make a mockery of of what we do and and and, no, and course, the institution yeah, in, in and of itself. I
0: think it's a fun, cool idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but then eventually. Um, uh i remember pitching it to you know a few close industry friends of mine and one of them's a very talented um songwriter and composer and we thought um yeah we'd like to play in that arena and one of the things i think is probably like there's two moments in it first of all um i didn't want it to be a step kick step tap type musical so um you know i i i so yeah, that would, for me, fall into the realm of say something like a La La Land, which mm. is a which are, you know for for some audiences is a great film, but it wasn't sort of a musical idea that I was really particularly fond of. Um, but I remember sitting in the cinema and watching Rocket Man, and
0: yes, that was a great movie.
1: So when I saw that I, and the creative freedoms that they were playing with with the musical moments, again, is where I went, ah, this is what we could be having some fun with as well.
0: Okay, yeah, so, I can visualise that now. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is if it, if it manages to go any further is we we imagine that every episode will have a, a different um, musical style. So we don't want it to be, again, just that 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 sort of, okay, let's, let's play in, I don't know, whether it be a, a, a pop forum or whether it be a – sort of like you know 50s you know a la Greece or something like that we you know every episode will will drift from like the first episode um, I kind of pegged as being kind of euro as where we, where we were grounded in um, initially it was kind of I was it was kind of in the in the realm of churches we ended up probably more in you know towards Savage Garden Um but the but the music hook is is, is good and um, but it wouldn't be the same for the next episode. We'd move into a you know, oh, in, like a tonal shift sort of thing. Oh, a genre shift. Like you know, if we get to do the uh, the origin episode for one of the characters, it'll be a you know, it'll be a soft power ballad. Um, you know, we'll just shift from from you know, and hopefully the musical style is also an accent to whatever it is we're playing with, with the, um, because again, just going to it, you know, um, you could potentially from a, um, an education point of view and not, not intentionally or deliberately, but we would love the idea of, of, um, you know, doing an episode that's a lot of it's cinematography orientated and focused, but by the end of it, you could go back and look at it and go, actually... Every different lighting style and every different sort of you know, major pillar of the foundations of cinematography is visibly evident in that episode, but it just wasn't overt. Um, or we'll do an episode on editing being the retelling of the story in the cut, and you would go back and look at that episode again and go... Oh, actually, I reckon that was told in the cut, like not in you know, not, not in the script. It's kind of
0: meta in a way. Sort of oh, thing, it's very like, yeah.
1: meta. And, 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 and if I want to go to the highest meta level, um, I would love the, the last episode to be very much like what you guys experience is um, the graduation screenings. And then I would love to go out and make all of the films that were the, were the content for the graduation oh. screenings episode yeah, it's- and put them on the film festival circuit. Um, And then if one of them got into a film festival, I would then send the character from the series to represent the film, because it will be directed by that character.
0: Wow! And you could then
1: look at it and go, I can see that character making that film, but they're not a real person. They're a character created within a series that's gone and made a film, and then you've put it in the real world.
0: I can imagine an audience really getting wrapped up in that and having uh, hurts a lot your of fun brain. With it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So what's the plan with it then? So is it obviously, it's a proof of concept project. Mm-hmm. So the idea is just trying to get it working and then see who can kind of get it up and running. Because is it a long form or is it short form episodes?
1: Oh, no, we'd be short form. So look, and the other thing is duration is... There's no longer durations... You, you know, like again, when things were wedded to broadcast half hours or TV hours um, or ninety-minute features or what have you, we know now with the with the SVOD services that they're flexible and open to anything. We want we want it to be as long as it should be to to maintain the audience's um, interest. Um, we do think we know our audience, which is you know. Students that are either wanting to study at film school or have been at film school and can reflect back on it and sort of fondly, um, you know, sort of identify. Have
0: been a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah.
1: Identify with that and um, yeah, like any project these days, we've just got to put it out to the universe and 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 hopefully, you know, it's we're no, you know, it's no different to any filmmaker. Look. You either sell it at the script stage or create the proof of concept. We've decided for the proof of concept because we were afforded an opportunity at the start of the year that allowed us to go and do that. Um, We do hope that the ideas in and of themselves um, stand up. Um, and yeah, just like whether it be J.K. Rowling out there shopping a manuscript called Harry Potter and being rejected 20 times and then finding one publisher, um, we're in the same catchment as everybody else. Mm.
0: Oh, so that's the, the funny thing is that like, it, you can have a great idea and someone may not pick up on that idea straight away, but if you find the right person or the right outlet it can just spark and then turn into something massive. So, yeah. I, I wish you the best of luck with it, honestly. It sounds like a really cool and groovy concept. Um, so And I, I'd definitely tune in for it. Um, but is there anything you wanted to promote or anything besides um, Film School Musical? Like, is there anything else that you wanted to get out there, like social medias or anything like that? No, no.
1: Well, we've... Uh, I, you know, I'm a... <laughs> I'm a, yeah, I I'm, I'm in that catchment that doesn't engage a lot in social media but I'm kind of having to at the moment. So there is a there I feel a,
0: like it's becoming more and more of a social necessity for a lot of people.
1: Oh yeah, it is. Um so yeah, the musical has its own Insta now so you can go and you can follow it on that if you want. What's it? Um, Film school the musical.
0: Film school the musical. Um,
1: and uh yeah, well and yeah, the more support we can get around it, uh, hopefully yeah, the the um the greater interest people can show in it too, but anyway, we'll see. As I said, i the, the universe will decide, and we'll we'll do our best to um, profile it in front of the right people, and and it'll it'll all be a question of timing. You know, that's that's just the reality. Timing such a huge part.
0: It's all about being in the right place at the right time with the right people, yep. and that's when magic has happened. Exactly, magic happens. Um, last question before we wrap up today: If there's one thing about the film industry that you could change, what would it be?
1: Um. Ooh. That's a that's a tough one. What would you change about the film industry? Um. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a ready made. Well, not even ready made. I don't know if I can. It's it's such a broad question though, Caleb. So when I'll you say, well,
0: I'll answer my own question then. I guess the one thing that if I could change one thing about the film industry is the reliance on reaching a deadline and a release date. I feel like so many times a movie gets released and not finished. There's so many times where we have a deadline that we have to meet and if we don't reach the deadline, then the artistic vision is compromised. And I feel like if we had a bit more flexibility with regards to um, reaching a deadline and being able to reach an artistic vision and uh, accomplish what the filmmakers are after, then uh, that'd be the one thing Yeah, I'd hope we could change.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. So I, I, I'm going to address that question, or your what? Um, sorry, not the question. Your statement there. The hard thing there, and this is what I'd say. Just even reflecting on the third years with us, if we, if you don't have an assessment deadline or you don't have a fixed shoot window, people. You know what I mean? Like it just becomes fluid, and nothing ever gets done. Mm. So the more that you and and so with respect to the film industry, I get that you know you battle the rigors of what an artistic vision is, but at the same time, you've got to understand that if you're a studio, and you're about to go and bankroll a project for you know whether you're you know Screen Australia throwing five million or. Or um, let's say Warner Brothers throwing sixty million, or Revolution, or whomever it is—all the different partners that have bought into the project um, to, to finance it. At a certain point in time, um, they need to start to, to, to see a return on their investment um, because there's huge, you know, huge stakes. Of um, course, yeah. So, in that instance, and also what they've got to do is they've got, they've got to quarantine a release window. So they've got to look at everything else that's that's being released and sort of plan. Let's say in 2024, Christmas. This is a film that's going to land, and this is Universal's you know foray into a tent you know a Christmas pole or a July um, or or a July re- release window as well. That's your finish line that you run towards because if you don't land in that release window, then um, and there's the other adage in the film industry: if you can't be best, be first. Um, if you can't be best, if you can't be best, be first. Full stop. Sorry, that was what I was about to say. Yeah, and we also. Um, you're also probably familiar with the the notion of twin films, okay? So, and there's a lot of instances where very similar films get released at similar times. So, if I go back to that adage of, if you can't be best, be first, there are people that will often go, we know another studio is producing something similar to us, we're going to get it out first. Now, whether we're best, who knows? Well, you know, the market will decide that. But if we don't, and we're second, and the other one was best then we may really blow our money on this. So there's a lot of competing interests that make those deadlines um, really, really precious. Um, I would say, actually, now they have had a quick chance to ruminate on it, my, my main comment would go back to where we started and that would be um, for people to lower their, um, their scepticism of, of Aussie films, um, at least jump in and, and watch one, pay the money for it or, or watch a couple. And drill down on it because it's your own backyard. And for us to have this, you know, great international industry um, coming here to to facilitate production, we also need our own industry um, to as as one of the first stepping stones for a lot of our creative. Um, heads of department. So, you know, for those that harbour those ambitions that want to go, you know, potentially on a, on a greater international playing field, great, but you're going to still have to start by doing something locally. And so, at a certain point in time, what we don't want is we don't want the Australian government to sort of be looking at what, you know, the money that they're putting towards the industry and going, do you know what? We're better off putting that in some, you know, in some other de- department. The industry struggles enough as it is, so we need we need at least some form of like momentum to keep supporting it, so that um, it can be ongoing, so it can f- facilitate um, those larger ambitions of of certain um,
0: practitioners. Dean. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming in. I know you're a very busy man with lots <laughs> going on in life. So I thank you for taking the time out of, your, out of your day to come sit down with me and have this conversation. I really appreciate it. And I feel it's been insightful. I've definitely learned a lot from this conversation and I feel like you know those who are listening may have also learned some things about the process of not only uh, that went down at film school, but also a bit of insight into your own creator side with Film School the Musical, I think. So it's a very cool project and like I said, I wish you the best with it. Um, But yeah, that concludes uh, the very first episode of uh, Caleb's Conversation Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, If you are watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on an audio form, make sure you are following the podcast as well. Uh, Thank you very much for watching or listening wherever you are in the world. And I will see you in another time.